You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Air Station One podcast. That's right, folks, we are back and we are going to be looking at the year 1999. We're going to party like it's 1999 and talk about Woo, all kinds of music and movies and kind of party. stuff that was was interesting in 1999 because there was a, that was a interesting year. It was the year that Mike Gordon learned how to dance. That's right. And Dude, I've always known how to dance. Oh, have you? Do tell. We want to hear always. all about it. Did you have your funk in 1999, Mr. Mike? I've had my funk since 1968. Well, there you go. So, you know, 1999 was interesting because it was a year where week after week after week was great movies and movies that, you know, nowadays, you know, are whole household names and classics but you know 20 years ago these were at the movie theater and it was you know early still and you know there wasn't any streaming it was early in the internet it was you know they had movie rentals like blockbuster and you know companies like that where you you know used to you know rent movies yes that's right folks you used to rent movies can you believe that instead of streaming it it was it was just interesting and we're going to have a great crew to talk all about it and mike is going to show us some of his fancy moves right mr mike yes the starting with the howdy you had to do that the howdy move the howdy move right that's That's right uh, since 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 day one well you know for those people who weren't around around in 1999 it was a dark it was a dark time. Uh, you know, we were all living under the the dark shadow of uh, potential Armageddon with uh, the 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 Y two K virus uh, looming. Um, it was really really scary, um, and these movies really helped us escape from that fear. So, um, I, you know, that's why I think a lot of them mean so much to people. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and it's just it's awesome, and you know we're going to talk all about it, and we definitely would love to hear from you guys, and you know, you know, you're probably listening to this, getting very close to all your holidays and everything. So, you know, if you have still some holiday shopping to do, don't forget to you can go to the ESO Network webpage, and which is esonetwork.com, and click on the Amazon link. And yes, you can help support the station and shop to your heart's delight at Amazon.com. That's right, folks. We still do have an Amazon uh, presence. And you know what? There's tons of good stuff. They have some amazing bargains. And the sales before Christmas is always great. So it's cool. And speaking of holidays, I want to throw something out to the folks at home. You know, please write us, as we always like to say, at EarthStation1 at ESONetwork.com. But wouldn't it be cool? We want to see what you guys do for your holidays at home. We want to see your setups. We want to see your Christmas trees, your menorahs. Uh, You know, we want to see what you guys, how you guys celebrate. You know, if you do Christmas cookies or gingerbread houses or, you know, lights on your house we want to see it all please send us pictures we would definitely love to see that and we just would love to you know celebrate the holidays with you guys so 
definitely would love to hear from you on that. Of course, big shout out to our patrons. You know, we couldn't do this without you. Anyone, you know, we have a nice number of patrons and you could help support the ESO network by becoming a patron too, for as little as 25 cents a week. And, you know, think of holiday spirit. Think of, you know, oh, wait, I could give 25 cents to the Salvation Army or the guy with the bell at the store, or you could give it to the ESO network. You know, we give you entertainment year round, you know, so just think of it that way. And we're going to have more stuff coming to you in 2020, which is pretty cool. We've already been, you know, planning it, already talking about it. It's pretty decent. But enough of me shilling for tonight. Let's get started with this week's rants and raves. And we got some sad news. We had some pretty significant dents in the geek community. And, you know, I don't know which one do you want to start with, Mike, you know? Well, um, going in order of when they happened, uh, I guess uh, December 2nd uh, this year, we uh, lost uh, Dorothy Fontana, a.k.a. DC Fontana. Um, uh, She was a... Television script writer, story editor, uh, novelist, writer. Um, she's most notably known uh, for her work uh, with Gene Roddenberry on Star Trek. Uh, she worked on uh, the original series. Uh, she rewrote a lot of uh, episodes. She was Gene Roddenberry. She, I think she started as Gene Roddenberry's assistant, but uh, uh, she became the uh, story editor after you know, working with uh, the writers on a lot of the episodes. Um, And, uh, you know, she even, I think, was uh, nominated for a few awards uh, for her work there, too. Um, She was, but, I mean, at that time, uh, women doing this sort of job was not common. So uh, she, she, but, you know, that didn't stop her. Uh, and she continued to work in science fiction on television and other shows as well. Uh, she worked on Fantastic Journey. She worked on Logan's Run, the series, Six Million Dollar Man, Buck Rogers, uh, 25th Century, uh, Auto Man. Um, she did some work for Battlestar Galactica, um, you know, in Star Trek The Next Generation. She was one of the first people who helped Gene Roddenberry create the basis uh, for Next Generation as well. Um, she wrote an episode of Deep Space Nine later on, Babylon 5. Uh, you know, she's written some novels. And, uh, you know, I think uh, to a lot of people, certainly in the Star Trek family and in the, in the science fiction community, she was always, like, uh, available. She did a lot of conventions. When Star Trek uh, was canceled... She was uh, uh, part of the, the reason uh, to try to bring it back. She was a big force in that. Uh, in terms of the early conventions, she was always there. Um, she always believed in the show. And she was pretty accessible, too. A lot of people got to know her on a personal level as well. I wish I had m- met her, but I, I haven't. Uh, I didn't get a chance to do that. And uh, she... um She's amazing. She was uh, twice named to the American Screenwriters Association's Hall of Fame. So I think that says what the, that says in, in a short, like in a short way, that says what her impact was uh, because she definitely was uh, worthy of that award. And I know a lot of people were really sad 
uh, to, to see that she's finally, that she passed. So Mm -hmm. it was Um, really sad to see. Yeah. I mean, she's just one of the early pioneers of uh, science fiction on television, you know, Mm -hmm. exactly. One, one of the most important shows ever. So, so that, uh, that was a pretty big blow. Mm-hmm. Um, we wouldn't have had us. a lot of the mythology we have now about Falcon if it wasn't for her. Yeah, I do know that uh, um, she's credited with um, you know doing a lot of that work as well. Um, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. So, um, so that was sad enough. Um, and for those people who are not familiar with her, just look her up and and you know figure you know I, I would imagine if you look at you know, if you're a Star Trek fan and you, you know, you look at her experience, you'll be like, oh, wow, she's responsible for that. And that alone will, will, um, you know, seal uh, her place in, in, in sort of, you know, not just uh, television history, um, but really just, uh, uh, you know, pop culture, really. I mean, like I said, a lot of people look at Star Trek and they see Gene, which is fine. Gene's the guy, but, you know, right below him, I think DC Fontana, and a couple of other producer guys were were right there and just as responsible for the success of the show as he was. Oh, very much so. And then we had another big boss with uh, our, from our childhood is Carol Spinney. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had we had mentioned Carol quite a bit uh, when talking about the uh, 50th anniversary of Sesame Street, which we did last month. And you know, I, like I said, you know, not just uh, his work as Big Bird, but also as Oscar the Grouch. Um, he, you know, the, the fact that he did both of them, you know, is just amazing to me. Like the fact that the one man was responsible for two of the most iconic characters of my youth and in pop culture just blows me away. Um, Very much so. And, <laughs> and they couldn't be more different, right? Oh, very much so. They were like night and day between it, <laughs> almost like the Superman and Batman, you know, <laughs> of Sesame Street. Wow, that's a very weird analogy that uh, I'm not sure I'm going to go forward with it just yet. But, uh, but um, and, you know, I think we were aware that Carol was, of course, getting up there. I think uh, last year, I think he announced that uh, – his his convention days, his touring days were were over, um, but uh, you know you can still really experience his impact. Uh, uh, there's a great book that uh, that's out there as well as a documentary on him that I think uh, everybody, even if you're you know just know of a little bit about Sesame Street, but maybe you didn't grow up with it or whatever. No matter what your experience with Sesame Street is. Uh, my, you know, my understanding is, is that Carol, I, like I said, I never met him, but my understanding is he was just an amazingly nice and amazing talent and worth checking out. Oh, when I saw him at Dragon Con, it was worth the admission to Dragon Con, you know, to be able to see him speak and talk about his experiences and everything and the love he showed for the people and it was returned from the people that he spoke to it was just awesome yeah he was very aware that you know he had an impact on people um 
from a very young age and he was very responsible with that with that uh, impact you know mm-hmm. exactly and he t- would talk to people from toddlers all the way up to people older than us in you know with the equal amount of respect and it was awesome to see and you know he will be missed and then you know just yesterday just yesterday you know star trek fans were reeling from the loss of dc fontana and then yesterday to find out that uh, they uh, that we had lost our Odo, uh, that uh, that Rene Abergenois had passed away after a kind of uh, I mean a, a, a lengthy battle I think with uh, lung cancer. Um, I, I I've actually got a chance to meet him a few years ago at Dragon Con, and he was very nice and gracious. Um, he's one of those actors that, okay, I think I, I became aware of him on, on Benson, uh, the sitcom Benson. And ever since then, I've just been delighted whenever he shows up in something. So, and that includes like when I've seen stuff that he was in prior to Benson, like MASH, right? Yeah. He was the original father Mogheri from the movie. Yep. And, you know, he's been plenty of other roles. He had a lot of small roles back in the 60s and early 70s, but I think Benson was his breakthrough. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, certainly that's where a lot of people from my generation know him from the most. Uh, Benson was a a hugely popular show. And, uh, you know, in addition to... In addition to him, you know, uh, and and Robert Guillaume as the main character... I think, you know, the, the, the rest of the cast was amazing as well. And, and Rene was just, you know, his comic, comedic timing, his, his, his banter, his ability to quip uh, was just, uh, just a, you know, he, it was a guy that you didn't really like because he didn't play a likable character. But he wasn't, you know, I mean, he still kind of respected him. And, you know, he could come out with some, some one-liners, some shots that were just like, oh, yeah, you just have to tip your hat to it. Um, and then, uh, you know, then he, uh, you find out that he has a great singing voice because he's, you know, doing voiceover work for movies like Beauty and the Beast. And, uh, you're like, wow, I can't imagine that, you know, and then, uh, and then he shows up on Deep Space Nine as this, uh, character Odo, which we learn, we know nothing about really when the, the, the series starts and we find out like he and his race become like integral to the entire series and in a way that's just, you know, uh, not just uh, story-wise, but character-wise, you know, the scenes between him, it's sort of like Benson, the scenes between him and uh, his colleague on Deep Space Nine, it's, it's played by Armin Shimmerman. It's, it's um, uh, Cork. The Ferengi. Yeah. The banter back and forth, but the, you know, that there's genuine, genuine respect and, and admiration and, and almost love there. Like, it's just, uh, it's a great, you know, it turns out to be a great thing. Um, and you know, as frequently these actors are played, are, are, are chosen to play like these things in, in makeup. I mean, you know, Renee had to get there very early in the morning, uh, the last to leave because his makeup is, you know, so intense and yet he's still ama- able to give amazing performances. I mean, it's not bad for a bucket of goo, right? Exactly. And <laughs> I loved that, that story. It was like, you know, he was a shape changer. 
and to, he had to revert to every night to his natural state, which he was liquid and basically slept in a bucket. Yep. It was actually really awesome. And if I've met him a few times at Dragon Con. So it was, you know, it was really nice. He was very grateful to the fans. And he was, when somebody came up, dressed up to him as a character, you know, as one of his characters, it was always, the look on his face was like a grin ear to ear. So it was awesome. Yeah, he was, he was generally delighted by uh, the fandom and, and really appreciated the fans and, you know, whether you knew him from Star Trek or whether you knew him for his work with Disney or uh, later on uh, his work on Boston Legal. Um, uh, I, I certainly appreciated him on that show, which was hilarious. Um, you know, I mean, the guy did solid work. I mean, if you if you see Rene Bergenois' name in something, the movie might be not great, but he will be worth watching. So, uh, So definitely... You know, it's just another another one of those cases where with all these people, all three of these folks that we talked about, you know, their legacy uh, lives on in their work. And, you know, if you're not familiar enough with them, I strongly recommend, you know, checking it out because they're all they're all like great. They've all created classic moments that we can look back on and and uh, just appreciate. Exactly. And we can look back on their careers and smile and just go, thank you. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm grateful. I got the chance to say thank you in person to uh, Renee. I wish I'd been able to for the other ones as well, because uh, all three of them had an impact personally on my life uh, with the work that they've done. And uh, you know, they'll be missed. Exactly. Pretty darn, you know, powerful you know individuals and you know i couldn't picture myself growing up without big bird or or oscar and to think like you said to think he played both probably probably more oscar than big bird oh god yes (laughs) knowing you mike you could probably relate more to oscar Oh God, yeah. Well, you know, you've seen my house, so. <laughs> oh people, no, no, no. Some not people, that's not, some that's people not what I mean say at all. It's a, a garbage ticket, you know. No, no, that's not what I meant at all. Um, but, uh, um, and you know, I think overall, you know, I mean, I know we've had some years. Whew, there was a year, I think, in particular, like a few years ago, where it seemed like every week, you know, we were just uh, uh, sort of opening the show with uh, a loss. Uh, of someone uh you know that uh we admired and and this year really hasn't been as as numerous i mean certainly there's been a lot of folks and uh you know it's not something that we love doing as far as opening the show with this kind of stuff but uh i thought you know i think either one of these three would have been warranted you know mentioning on this show but certainly all three of them were like yeah yeah we have to you know, we have to say something. And um, yeah, this is good. The time of year where, you know, Turner Classic Movies and some other folks are going to be putting up all their like tributes to everybody that we've lost this year. And it's just that time of year. So uh, it's a it's a shame when it happens like right near the end. But uh, unfortunately, I think I think that's not uncommon for for December to 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 be full of that. So 
Oh, yeah. And it's only like we keep on saying, it's only going to get more and more as we get older. A lot of our history is going to be fading off. It's true. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah. It's not something that uh, it's, well, there's very little about getting older that you have to look forward to. And that's definitely something that's right up there in the top 10. After 21, you know, it was all downhill from there, you know. Oh, if I'd only known. Exactly. But now you know, and we definitely would love to hear from you guys at home. Please write us at station one at esonetwork.com. All right, let's take a quick break, and then we're going to be jumping into 1999. Party. So, so let's party like it's 1999. Party. Hi, this is Ashley Pauls with this week's Box Office Buzz. I'm excited because we're getting into holiday movie season here, and we're getting close, but not quite, to Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. It's my most anticipated movie of the year, and it feels like I've been waiting forever for it, but it's nearly here. In the meantime, we do have some fun movies to tide us over. The first one of those we're going to talk about is Jumanji The Next Level. Now, a couple of years ago, when they announced the Jumanji reboot, a lot of fans were skeptical. The original is well-liked, it's a fun movie, and a lot of times it just doesn't work out so well when Hollywood tries to return to a well-loved property and do something new with it. A lot of times it can end up falling flat. But the Jumanji reboot actually turned out to be so much fun. It was hilarious. It was entertaining. Some great action sequences. They had the great idea to update it by having these kids pick avatars in a video game. And then the avatars were played by famous people like Dwayne The Rock Johnson. It was a lot of fun. So I'm also excited for the sequel called The Next Level. But I'm also a little bit skeptical again just because I'm not sure that lightning can strike twice. I mean, the reboot was unexpectedly so much fun and I'm just a little bit nervous that they might not be able to capture all that magic again but I'm definitely going to go see it We'll be curious to see what the buzz on this one is and how long it'll stick around especially with so many big holiday movies still to come if you're not quite in a holiday mood yet, you might be more interested in the holiday horror flick Black Christmas about a sorority where things go wrong. I think this is a really great example of counter-programming. It's technically a Christmas movie, but it's horror, so I think it'll bring in some fans of that genre. Also in wide release, we have Richard Jewell, the drama about a security guard who's caught up in the 1996 Atlanta bombing. And finally, we have Uncut Gems, a movie that I'm going to bring up just because I found it interesting. I am not the biggest Adam Sandler fan, especially when it comes to his comedies, but he stars in this and it's getting really fantastic reviews. It's a crime thriller about a New York City jeweler. So I'm curious enough that I might actually end up checking this one out. It's always interesting to see when comedians do something that's not a comedy, that's not meant to be super funny, and to see how that works in drama. So again, not as much a fan of Adam Sandler, but this one does kind of intrigue me, I have to say. On DVD this week, we have It Chapter 2, if you're looking for some scary clowns in your life. Then also Quentin Tarantino's latest film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I only got a chance to see it one time in theater, sadly, but I think it was definitely one of my favorite Tarantino movies, and I cannot wait to watch it again. And in terms of streaming, on Netflix... 
the movie Marriage Story is now out. I've been hearing a lot of Oscar buzz about it. I watched it and it was amazing. So definitely go check that out. And that's it for this week. If you're looking for more entertainment related content, be sure to check out my blog on the ESO podcast website where this week I am actually reviewing Marriage Story. Hey, pardon interruption, but do you want to learn more about love, lust, sex, anger, happiness, music, time, space, and the human race? I hope you do, because I'm here to beg you to listen to Soul Forge Podcast. We're your weekly dose of life and living here on the ESO Network. Find us wherever you listen to podcasts and soulforgepodcast.com. A proud partner of the Rusted Robot Podcast here on the ESO Network. Let's find out together. Hey everybody, Michelle here with a super fast Iconic Rock Talk Show moment this week. Last week, talked a little bit about reunions happening in the music industry, uh, Bikini Kill, My Chemical Romance, Doobie Brothers, but I'm sorry, I forgot the most important one, and I know you've all been waiting. It's been 10 years, but yeah, guys, the Pussycat Dolls are getting back together. Woohoo! They are touring the UK next April, and they say a new album is in the works. They were on the UK version of The X Factor last week with a performance that made a lot of people happy and created a little bit of backlash about costumes that uh, let everybody see a whole lot of the Pussycat Dolls. Like, that's a surprise. Also, there were a few complaints about S&M dance moves. I'm not really sure what an S&M dance move is, but I guess they had some. Uh, Also, this week, there was a lot of new music out. What may be, very well may be, the final album by The Who, called simply Who. Also, the cast recording for the Alanis Morissette Broadway jukebox musical Jagged Little Pill. And it's the season, so a new Christmas single by Taylor Swift called Christmas Tree Farm. And Harry Styles dropped a single called Adore You in advance of his album that's out next week called Fine Line. This has been a quickie version of the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. The blog is iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com, and we'll catch you next time. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. That's right, folks. We are going back in time and we are going back to the year 1999, where it seemed like every movie that came out that year was an amazing film. And we're going to try to fit it all into an hour. Go for it, Mike. Start. <laughs> well, yes, it's going to be difficult because it was a pretty big year. Um, I think there is a trend there. Um, you know, 1939 is considered by a lot of people. Uh, one of the biggest movies ever, uh, best, sorry, years of movies ever. Uh, Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, uh, Stagecoach, Hunchback of Notre Dame, among many, many, many others. Uh, And then fast forward 30 years, 1969. We've already talked about some of the movies that are celebrating their 50th anniversary, like Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, uh, Midnight Cowboy, uh, Easy Rider, True Grit, uh, and of uh, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and of course the the classic computer board tennis shoes. Um, so um, and now we're at 1999. So it's like every 30 years, it seems like there's something about 
uh, you know, turning that corner into a new decade. So I'm look anxious to talk all about uh, 1999 movies with you guys. Uh, we've got uh, Alex is here with, uh, you know, since we're talking movies. So it's like a prerequisite. Yeah. For discussing well, movies, I have to be here. It's, it's in my, uh, it's in my <laughs> community service. Well, well, considering <clears throat> Ashley wasn't uh, even an embryo at this point um, in 1999, <laughs> uh, so we had to f- search somewhere, and and we got uh, Kevin Eldridge from the Pop- Flopcast. Yes, hello everybody. We appreciate you f- like jumping ahead a decade because I know the 80s is usually your thing. Yeah, this is like the far flung future in the world of the Flopcast. <laughs> We're getting super yeah, modern, yeah, the- only dipping back 20 years. <laughs> Yeah, those. So a lot of spoilers for you as to far as uh, <laughs> uh, like what is going to be the future of movies. That's right. Um, but uh, no, thanks guys uh, for joining us because uh, this is yeah, this is a crazy year. I don't even think at the time I realized how crazy this was. It just was. Uh, it seemed like I think I probably was at the movie theater at least every other weekend, if not every weekend. I'm not sure. Well. Where to start, right? Um, I guess we'll just go with uh, movies that you feel need to be mentioned. Uh, we'll start with, well, wait, before we do that, Alex, do you have any idea what the box office was like this year? It's funny you should ask. I, in <laughs> fact, do know. Um, <laughs> I, I, I ask it every time you're on the show. <laughs> and it has nothing to do with the fact that Mr. Faber said, get me these numbers. All right, fine. <laughs> Um, one of the things I love about this is that for the last few years, we've seen the same thing over and over again. The top five is your superhero movie, your Disney remake, your superhero movie, your Disney remake, throw in a star Wars, your Disney remake, you know, that sort of thing. Just from the top five for this, for, for 1999, number one, star Wars, the Phantom Menace which made $431 million, which good enough. Yeah. And that was all the first weekend. Cause after that word got out about it. <laughs> it's funny. You say that they actually made only 83 million in its opening weekend. And really? that was cons- Yeah. Um, I actually looked it up. The first movie to ever uh, uh, break a hundred million. It's opening weekend. Didn't happen in th- for another three years when Spider-Man Sam Raimi's uh, was the first to break a hundred million in 2001. Wow. Uh, 2002, I think. Yeah. Oh, Whichever cool. one it was. Yeah. The, um, uh, I have to say, and, you know, sorry, Alex, but, uh, no. you know, talking about just not the movie, but just the event of Star yes. Wars Phantom Menace, it was, it was huge. I mean, it was it, absolutely you, I mean, they huge. had, that's, I mean, it started websites like what countdown, countingdown.com mm-hmm. started that way. Uh, and you always have to look at ticket prices as well. The, the, farther back you go in time you know tickets were cheaper and so it was right oh yeah right. as time goes along it's it's yeah it's easier to hit that 100 million mark when, when they charge a lot more yeah yeah and plus i think it probably opened like i think a movie now opens wider uh that although i can't imagine any movie like uh, i can't imagine star wars phantom minutes not opening that wide but i do know that like uh where i saw it uh they had just opened a multiplex theater Mm-hmm. And I think the more we see, like we saw more of those spring up after this. And so there are more screens now. Right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, they, were, uh, very, they were still around the multiplexes. The yeah. multiplexes and everything. But I think now you're looking, you're not looking at multiplexes. You're looking at Googleplexes mm. um, where it's, you know, 
it, it's very hard to believe uh, a theater is going to open with less than 10 screens. So, uh, whereas, you know, in 99, you were still getting your, your six to eight screen theaters, some even four screens. Yeah, there was like a um, new, it seemed like there was a new generation of movie theaters mm-hmm. was springing up in the, the mid to late 90s. And probably especially Titanic in 97 had an influence on probably. Your, your, your 96, 97 would have been the start of stadium seating. Right. Um, which just makes stadium seating now feel old. Um, but getting back to No, it, no, that makes us feel old. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> number two on the list. There's a difference? Yeah. <laughs> I'll get these stadium seats off my lawn. Um, number two, and this surprised me. Number two, because again, the way that my mind thinks now, it's either superhero movie, da 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 da. The Sixth Sense. Wow. M Night. Yeah, when you look at $93 million. When you look at some of the other movies that were came out that year, that is shocking mm-hmm. that that really, I mean, although give M Night credit, I mean, that's the movie that made him and everybody was talking about that. He everybody. hasn't been able to come close to it since, truthfully. No. No. Uh, that doesn't stop him from trying. Yeah. Number three was Toy Story 2, okay. which really sense. was the birth of the franchise. Um, and it was did that at 240, almost $243 million. Number four, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. <laughs> yeah, baby. Can Can you think of a time where a comedy sat in the top five in the last 10 years. And that wasn't one of those like low budget, you know, sort of yeah. simple comedies. That was a, that was a big budget comedy. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. And number five was the matrix with 171, uh, almost 171.5 million. Well, I remember though, the matrix came out of nowhere. Yeah. No yeah. One... It really did. No one was prepared for that one. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, you know, when they, the Matrix opened, it, it grew with word of mouth because it was just, you know, it was an, a nothing film when people were like, when they started saw the previews, uh, another campy sci-fi thing and everything with Keanu Reeves and who had done, you know, at the time he had done Hellblazer and, you know, stuff like that. And it was just like, eh, okay, well. No one really went to go see it, but then word of mouth started getting out mm-hmm. and just grew and grew and grew. I was so glad I saw that in the theater when it was, you know, yeah. 99. Well, so it was m- one of those things where it's like, you know, I mean, it was hard to market because there hadn't been anything like that before. Yep. And even though Keanu was in there and some recognizable names, it wasn't like a huge, huge uh, starring cast. Um, I mean, it would be later. Um, and then ultimately, like I said, it was hard to market. I mean, I mean, it was really true. Like no one could really tell you what the matrix was. You had to experience it for yourself. Right. It really coined the phrase, have you seen the matrix? Right. And, and, you know, I mean, honestly, if the internet had, if the internet now had been then you'd have an entire group of people just devoted to hating this film. Um, and, That's true and of talking about how, how wrong it is and all that stuff. But, um, no, I mean, at the time I, I knew no one. Uh, at that time, who wasn't raving about the Matrix, and I didn't see it until after it was on DVD. Wow! Uh, yeah, wow. I, I do want to give a couple of mentions to uh, two other films sure. that were in the top ten, and the reason why I want to mention them is because it shows just how diverse 1999's top ten was. And number seven 
was Big Daddy with Adam Sandler, hmm. which pulled in $163 million. And this is truly, I mean, this is the peak of Adam Sandler. We're talking Wedding Singer, uh, um, uh, Big Daddy, The Water Boy. These were like the time to be Adam Sandler. Um, so it, it's crazy to, to have seen this mixed in with like the matrix and everything like that. But number 10 with $140 million, the Blair witch project. This is, this is a time when, I mean, the thing about these movies is they're not just like great movies and we can argue the, the greatness of them or whatever, but there's a few on this list that are, I mean, game changers. Yeah, right. And and I definitely the, think the, Blair Witch is up there with that. The oh, yeah. marketing campaign for Blair Witch is something you could not get away with now. They but, created an entire genre of films with that. The whole law of found fil- found footage lab. Oh God! And shaky cam. Oh yeah, ah. yeah. As I much <laughs> as 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 much as as the Matrix is is kind of. Uh, derided and poked fun at for the uh, circle cam uh, or bullet cam, I guess is what they called it. Uh, the the Blair Witch Project shaky cam aspect where suddenly everything has to feel more real because nobody can put the camera on a steady uh, is is pretty, uh, it, I mean, this was groundbreaking at the time. I mean, they made the movie for like, it was $130,000 or something like that. It was like a ridiculously low amount. And also the way they used the internet, they used websites to, yes. to promote it in that, that very clever marketing campaign. And this was kind of still the very early days of the internet where that really wasn't done. Oh, exactly. I was just thinking it's like the internet at the time, you know, it took at least two hours to download a preview or something like that. <laughs> well, it makes me wonder, would the Blair Witch Project therefore be the first viral thing on the internet? I mean... You mean after Dancing Baby? Okay, good point. <laughs> and don't forget Dancing Hamster. Come on. But yeah, like they were putting stuff on there. They had websites and things that were was trying to create the idea that this was real footage. That yeah. Was found, you know, they were really using it in that way. And that, it was such a groundbreaking event of a movie at the time. And I remember I was at San Diego Comic-Con that summer and um just to show you how far san diego comic-con has come one of the big guests it was like people were so excited that she was there it was heather donahue from blair witch project like she spoke in hall h in the in the big room that's what a phenomenon that movie was at the time mm. and also like, like mentioning the use of the internet like again that was such the wild west early days of the internet like i remember seeing ads for 10 things i hate about you which also came out in 99 and seeing Mm -hmm. in the commercial go to 10 things i hate about you.com and i remember being amazed by that what they made a website just for a specific movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) now they're making movies about specific websites (laughs) (laughs) it's true um uh any any mentions of, or any thoughts of the the top 5 uh as far as quality as far as anybody's you know personal favorites or anything I've seen pretty much the top 5 probably at least 2 dozen times each you know it's easy to do because 
you know, it was, it fit a lot of into genre that what we're into and stuff, what we talk about on the show, what we talk about in real life at cons and such, you know, I probably saw each one of those at the theaters and I can't even say nowadays I've seen the top five movies of this year Mm -hmm. at the movie theater. Oh yeah. That was another big takeaway for me. Just going through the list of movies from 99 is wow. I used to go out and go to the movies a lot more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now it's like, is Iron Man in it? No, I'll wait. I love, I love the idea of of sitting there because you know in '99 we're like yeah you know I'd go to more movies but are you kidding me six bucks yeah, right. what are you insane I'm not doing that you know I uh, matinee for three come on yeah, come on I think though that you know obviously the internet was just sort of getting people were figuring out how to use that uh, properly but also. Um, you know, in terms of seeing movies, you didn't just like, you couldn't just see it like in three months on streaming, right? right? I mean, this is, it's the whole setup was if you didn't see it in the theater, you'd have to wait months, sometimes even like a year or so. Yeah. If you, if you wanted to see it on HBO, it was probably at least a year, right? you know, to do yeah, that. Close to but I was like six months for it to come out on video. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and I don't even, this is the still, this is early DVDs. Yeah, this it's is, a, I mean, Blockbuster's still, still open at this yeah. point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is, uh, I don't know when Netflix started, but it might have been around. It was around already. So It was just, it, actually, I think Netflix started in 99. The, uh, and the one thing that I, I really took from, not just the, the top of the box office wise, but as far as, just the the when i was looking at the list i was like man look at how like yeah there's franchises here um but they're like every other movie or like you know they're spaced out enough where there's so much original content i mean yeah. the fact that we get okay so the matrix i'll put the matrix in there matrix blair witch project fight club american beauty being john malkovich six sense um eyes wide shut I mean, these are, these are movies that like, like you just, I don't know if a lot of them would be made now. The Iron Giant. That's where I was going. Yeah. That Good is, call. yep. Iron Giant yep. was, I was like chomping at the bit to say yeah. Iron Giant. <laughs> yeah. Iron Giant's in there. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is where, this is the year the American Pie franchise starts. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that was, that was really a return to like almost 80s style you know, teen sex comedy, which we get. There's a very Porky's-esque vibe. There was so much of that in the 80s, and then it it went away for a good decade plus until this one. And that was also an example of a movie in which they used webcams and internet, the kids at the high school. Yeah. Uh, And that that was novel to see that kind of new technology in a movie. He's like, let's use this new technology to, to... peek at people like a like they we do in the showers right like they, yeah. the shower scene right right yeah, yeah that that was the, the modern equivalent of the shower scenes is now you would point a webcam at shannon elizabeth yep you had multiple okay. you, yeah I, I have no downside to this um no there there's multiple r-rated comedies in the top 100 mm-hmm. that strong in the top 100 uh american pie uh, as an example uh, was number twenty for the year. South Park, 
bigger, longer, and uncut. Oh, God. I remember when at the Academy Awards, Robin Williams yes. saying blame Canada because yep. they wouldn't let him sing Uncle Walker. Yeah. <laughs> And it's like well, that was the worried. one that got nominated. Oh yeah, you know. and that was they were worried that he was going to break into it too. Oh yeah, yeah. And everything. well, you also had Galaxy Quest. You had Galaxy yeah. Quest, some great films. Oh yeah, like, Galaxy Quest is amazing. If you look at that one now, I mean, for I'm about to say you can't make it with that cast right now for uh, obvious reasons. But honestly, Aww. if you look at it, I know which sucks. At this point in time, Tim Allen, who's the star of the movie is probably the easiest to get. Um, you know, uh, uh, Sam Rockwell has gone on to to bigger and better things. Uh, Tony Shalhoub. Oh, big uh, time. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you just take a look at the, the I mean, even Justin Long is going to be more expensive. <laughs> Rain Wilson, that was his first movie. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and yeah. And Veronica Mars is dead. Yep. <laughs> Uh, Sigourney Weaver is probably just at that same status. Yeah, but she was. You mean perfect? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, (laughs) but you also, you know, Galaxy Quest was amazing because it was, you know, you didn't. Oh, that was another one. Is it was you didn't know if it was going to be like a Naked Gun type movie, like a parody or such, or you know what? And then to find out it was a real story, a true story, and it was an homage, a great homage to Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, and it's it actually was, been listed as one of the top Star Trek films of all time. Oh, I would rank it almost uh, <laughs> one, almost right behind Rathacon. Yeah, really, really <laughs> high up there. Yeah, um, but no, that was a that's a great film, and it's so funny because it's just been like just a part of our lives for the last twenty years. Oh, it was. But you also had beautiful stuff like the Green Mile mm-hmm. that year, which was just amazing. And because I remember picking the. the the serial books of that up in earlier in the eighties. Okay. And because they released that not as one full novel, they released it as a serial series of books. Yeah. And that was Stephen King was trying to go for almost the way Charles Dickens novels used to be released a chapter at a time. Exactly. It. it was awesome. Yeah. Ding, ding. Yeah. Just making more money that way. That's right. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say um, one of my favorite memories of going to the movies uh, in 99 was uh, I went to uh, I went to Disney World for uh, a week with my mom and uh, we always loved going to the movies it was just something that we did uh, something about me being quiet for two hours and um, we went to uh, downtown Disney in Pleasure Island back then and went to uh, the movies and there was a movie there that I wanted to see and she had seen something from the from the director previously so we went in and sat down at Disney World and saw Dogma wow oh. <laughs> it, is, it is my favorite Kevin Smith movie it, it's a great mm. Kevin Smith movie but can I tell you just how awkward the movie the golden calf boardroom scene is <laughs> When you're sitting at the house of mouse. Good point. <laughs> I, for a minute point. there, I thought you were going to say you saw eyes wide shut there. And I'm like, okay, well, no, okay, not with my mom. <laughs> dog, dogma's just as awkward. <laughs> in some Total cases, point. maybe even more so. I saw that in the theater at least three times. It was so fun. Yeah. yeah. And this was Kevin Smith really growing by leaps and bounds as a filmmaker. And that this was mm-hmm. a big movie and an ensemble cast and a road picture and the supernatural 
visual elements. There was so much going on in this. When you look at where he had started just a half decade earlier, you know, black and white movie in the shot in the convenience store where he worked at the time to uh, what Dogma looked like was just amazing. Mm-hmm. And it was I, a who's who of casting too. It was just yeah. amazing. I, I dare say though, I mean, if you look at things like Dogma, Eyes Wide Shut, um, American Pie, uh, Spy Who Shagged Me to an extent, and South Park, um, I don't know if those movies could be made and released today. South Park doesn't get made. South Park, no. Austin Powers, I do think. I think so. Would be. I, I think Austin Powers gets made, but nobody goes to see it after the Love Guru. Touche. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But I mean, as far as the climate that we're in, it's just like that's a lot of that stuff. Just you know, would would wouldn't make it past uh, the the studios and be like, no, we can't release this. Yeah. Certainly something like American Pie couldn't be released. American Pie, if it gets released, gets released on Netflix. Sure. Yeah, I could see that. That totally makes sense. It would be interesting to see how it would be made, though, these days, too. I think uh, the closest equivalent is a a few years ago when they made that parody of 86 comedies, right? That, uh, That summer camp movie, right? Am I just the only uh, one? Red Hot oh, Summer or something wet, like that? Oh, Red Hot, yeah. Wet, wet, wet Hot American Summer. Yeah. yeah well, that, that was more of a parody of those movies, right? Yeah, well, yeah, it was right. a parody of like Meatballs and, and those those right. movies. But and that was a long time ago at this point. That that came out, like, what, <laughs> 2001 maybe? Something like that? That's yeah. almost as old as oh, wow. we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. They did, there was a sequel uh, series uh, more recently. Prequel. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Prequel. Using the same cast. Yes. Uh, with all of them older and nobody saying a word about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was all leading up to the uh, the end of the summer. But it also if you, about movies not being able to probably be made these days, at least at the movies, probably Eyes Wide Shut. Probably Definitely not. not. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, well, Kubrick has a lot of leeway, right? So, I mean, I think he gets it made, but it only, uh, you know, it doesn't have a wide release. It's only like an art cinemas, and maybe it's something like what 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 we're seeing with the Irishman now, yeah. right? Well, Where exactly. It's it would limited be release to... in the theaters, and it goes right to yeah. Netflix or whatever. See, yeah. even at the time, and the movie was released posthumously, and and they were actually messing with the visuals of it before the actual release, right? That didn't they kind of yeah. cover and they added some things to cover? Yeah, there there was some work the behind the scenes on it. I know that Spielberg did AI. Uh, yeah. as a tribute to Kubrick. But I think, if I remember correctly, Spielberg also helped finish uh, uh, Eyes Wide Shut. Mm, I think so. I think If, I, if I remember correctly. Um, here's uh, Honestly, though, if we want to talk about you know movies that don't get made, let's talk about 8mm. Oh, God, yes. You're so right. I mean, this is a movie that launched J.J. Abrams' career. And there's no way in 2019 that a film like that gets made and gets released in a big, in a big way. And it wound up, I mean, it wound up pulling in 36 million. It was number 50, uh, 56. It was right behind fight club. Really? Uh, was that right? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, eight millimeter was 56 fight club was 54. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. It's, that you know because you know what 
you know, we have Star Wars coming out that year, and yep. then JJ had his first big hit, mm-hmm. and the irony right there is just beyond belief. Yeah, with what's coming out in two weeks. <laughs> so I, I've, I find it funny looking over this entire list. You look at the top twenty now, and the movie listing is very much uh, superhero movie, superhero movie, superhero movie. You know what the top superhero movie of 1991 was? Mystery Men. Right. I was going to say, you're going to say Mystery Men. I knew yeah. you were going to say well, Mystery Men. I mean, what's it up against? That that was the superhero movie. That, that was, was the superhero, superhero movie. And it finished in 68. Uh-huh. <laughs> I went out and saw it. Oh, I did too. But that was considered not that successful. Oh, no. Yeah. No, that was yeah. a quiet little movie that came and went without getting much attention. Even an, yeah. ama- an amazing cast. You know, when you look yep. at that, that, so many stars of kind of I alternative think, comedy of the 90s were. You know, yeah, I think cast. I had seen it. I had seen it like six or seven times before I realized that that was Eddie Izzard. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, really? As, as one of the uh, as one of the bad guys. Yeah, I, I just didn't click with me. Yeah, but man, I mean, Paul Rubens, Ben Stiller, Janine Garofalo, yeah. William H Macy. It was, a, and it was. I mean, even though it was based on Burton's uh, comics, it it really was satiring something that a lot of people weren't familiar with. I think now, you know, people would get it a lot more than at the time. I think it was very much before its time. Mm-hmm. And I think and most people had no idea it was based on a comic book either. Well, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. It, it plays better, in my opinion, on a smaller screen. Mm. Uh, I, I think I, I think on video and on DVD, the movie is a riot. And on the big screen, I just felt like I wanted more from it. Uh, I, re- I saw it at a sneak preview. I saw it uh, a week before it came out. And um, that was that was really an interesting experience. But um, the uh, the overall thing for me was is that it's grown on me. It, it's definitely grown on me. And I think it's possible that just because of all the, uh, uh, the wide amount of superhero movies that we get now, I'd honestly love to see uh, a, a re-release of this movie so that people can sit there and go, they're making fun of movies that came out 20 years later. <laughs> I always wanted Janine Garofalo's bowling ball though. That was so <laughs> ripping awesome with the skull inside of it. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It was just like, wow. But we also, speaking of horror, we had the mummy with Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't really horror. Um, and I'm really horror shocked. Adventure. I'm really, yeah, it's more of an adventure movie. It's it's bringing back sort of that Indiana Jones vibe. We all thought Brandon Fraser was the next Harrison Ford. Um, and yet that didn't really pan out. But um, I, I'm i shocked. Oh, yeah, okay. I was going to say I'm shocked that that wasn't in the top 10, but it was number six. So. Yeah, it was number six. Yeah, it's pretty um, I, I Or love number eight, the, 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 the uh, Tarzan was actually number six. The, the juxtaposition to me that's really interesting is something like The Mummy, which is... They've taken a horror, a classic horror movie, and making it an uh, adventure movie because uh, Universal was making, remaking the Universal Monsters. Dracula did really well. Frankenstein did not. So they were really concerned about what to do about the mummy and, uh, you know, uh, enter, what's his name? Stephen Summers, right? Yep. Who, who brought this, like, sort of fresh idea to it. And it, it worked. Whereas, you know, um, to me, the great juxtaposition on that is to look at a franchise which they kind of tried to bring back in a big way and it failed miserably, which was Wild Wild West. Oh, oh, God. 
Well, that was Richard Donner, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. No. No. It did Wild Wild West? No. Wild Wild, Wild West was... Barry Sodder. Barry Seinfeld. Yeah, because yeah, I remember Kevin Smith talking about the giant spider yep. that he wanted for the Superman movie. Right. And that was they... uh, John Peters he was talking about, I believe. Because... Because I remember, because he said he went to see Wild Wild West. There was the spider, yeah. you know. Yeah, that was it. in the early discussions about Kevin Smith's version of the Superman movie. Yeah, I think it was yeah. John Peters wanted wanted a giant spider. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, I I still to this day have not seen Wild Wild West. Sadly enough, I was bored on a Saturday afternoon. It was on TNT. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, sum it up real quick. Racism, racism, racism. <laughs> wow. Jeez, really? Innuendo, racism, innuendo, innuendo, racism, giant metal spider. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. I think it was also the first time that Will Smith proved like vulnerable. Yes. Because up yeah. until this point, he owned July 4th weekend. Like you couldn't. I mean, studios was like were like, no, we can't put anything out the week of the fourth, or even like the week before or after, because of you know Will Smith's got something coming out. Nope. Yeah, sounds, yeah, and it, and this just didn't flop like softly. It flopped bad. Yeah, it 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 really tarnished. I think I don't know if he ever had a July Fourth weekend that worked that was like as big box office after this. I ever? Think, I don't think so. It just went down for me. Like, yeah, not not his strongest work. Uh, no, but you also like this year. You had Office Space. Office mm. Space. What a Office, nice little movie that was. Huh? Office Space was wonderful because that also came out of nowhere. Yeah, and that's one that not many people actually saw when it came out. I think that's one that really grew in the in home video and cable and whatnot. And, and word now of mouth. you can't. Yeah, now everybody knows that movie. Oh, everybody sure. knows what you know. Everybody knows what Flair is. Everybody <laughs> knows what you know. The joke about you know uh, my stapler, like well, my like, red stapler, know, my red stapler, or uh, you know, uh, you know about the the memo stuff. Like this, just every like it just spoke to everybody who has a job that they hate, which is almost everybody. Yeah. Yeah. We it was also, supposed to be a Jennifer Aniston film, you know, because she was still yeah. very big with friends. And they thought, oh, let's move her to the movies. She'll be, a, you know, a superstar. You saw where that went. <laughs> I don't think that's what's the thought. I mean, I think maybe they hope that. But, I mean, it's not like she costs a lot. I mean, she's making this little low-budget movie with that that's made by Mike Judge, who's also got, you know, I mean, what he's known at that point. Uh, had he done King of the Hill at that point? Yes. Yeah, he was mostly known for Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, right. King, yeah of the, exactly. King of the Hill was from '97, I believe it started. But but he was okay. he was certainly known as an animated animator primarily yes. until this one. And now he went on to do a lot more live action movies, and now Silicon Valley, which is great. But this really established him as no, he's not just a, a cartoon guy. Yeah. One of the good things uh, uh, from the '99 films is I think a lot of uh, again, we're we're talking about a little bit of risk taking, um, definitely going outside your your comfort zone. Um, can we talk about Man on the Moon for a moment? Oh, Andy oh, sure. Kaufman's story that was yeah. awesome. And again, that was one of those ones, much like that one in the Truman Show. We all just expected uh, um, Jim Carrey to to be walking away with an Oscar when it was done. Um, 
that movie was so well done and so interestingly put together because there are times when you just kind of wondered how much of what we were seeing was true to the story. Um, and I think to this day, I think it's, it's one of, of Jim Carrey's best performances. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And and that was, um, yeah, Danny DeVito was very involved mm-hmm. in the production of that as well as, yeah. as us as one being one of the stars of it. And yes, yeah, so it was, we've seen so many kind of biopic, things and it's a case of they found the perfect guy to just do a perfect job playing Kaufman and also they just told the story in a very entertaining way which is when you're telling the story of someone's life that's not an easy thing to do because no what do you you leave out how do you how does the pacing work and they did it but I remember at at that when um I remember going to see Man on the Moon and I I don't know if you guys had the same experience and because I know that some theaters I I know did not do this because I asked about it but the very beginning of the movie the very beginning he just comes out and says well that's actually the whole movie and you know and the credit starts rolling at the theater that I was at they brought Mm -hmm. the house lights back up (laughs) what nice Oh, that yes. is awesome. Oh, yeah. That's brilliant. Such a clever touch. And again, that's something that you're only going to get in an actual movie theater. And I don't know yeah. how many theaters did that. Was this just an idea they had at, <laughs> at my local theater or what? Because I asked a couple Whoever of people. Whoever did that, that's genius. That. Yeah. So. That is genius. Um, I I love the fact that they got so many people involved in it. I mean, you've got, you know, David Letterman doing the Lawler spot. Right. Mm-hmm. You have Jerry the King Lawler in it. <laughs> you, um, had, you had the whole cast of Taxi. You know, and I love that when they show the cast of ta- ta- Taxi, the one person who's not in the shot is the Danny DeVito character. Mm-hmm. And it's because Danny DeVito is playing a character in the movie. <laughs> right. Um, I, that, that's a great moment because they get, they get everybody back. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah, that I I love that film. It's absolutely my one of my favorite uh uh carry films. It is. They, and did you you know they even did a documentary about the making of that movie? Yes, they did. Which was pretty awesome. You could still yeah. see it up on Netflix. Yep. I am uh also scrolling through this list and I be it'd be hard pressed to come up with other years where you've got such a amazing eclectic list of filmmakers that are behind these movies. I mean, I'm just scrolling through here and, and it's, it's a really of a passing of the torch too, because you've got uh, Erwin Winkler, you've got Sidney Lumet, mm-hmm. you've got, or Sidney Lumet, depending, you know, whatever. Uh, you've got Joe Johnston, uh, Joel Schumacher comes out with two movies this year. Uh, Gary Marshall, Harold Ramis, Guy Ritchie, uh, lock, talk and, lock, stock, and two smoking barrels. I think mm. is that his is that his debut. That is his debut. Yeah, yeah. Okay, you've got, uh, and then the world would find out about you know be introduced to Jason Statham too, right? Yeah. Um, Bob Clark, uh, Clint Eastwood, Ron Howard, uh, the Wachowskis, of course, Robert Altman, uh, Pedro. Uh, how do you pronounce that? Almodovar, right? Uh, uh, Roland Joffe, uh, David Cronenberg, Stephen Sommers, uh, Jim Jarmusch, of course, George Lucas, yeah. 
uh, Wim Wenders, Jay Roach, Simon West. I think that was Simon West's one of his first movies. Uh, you know, Barry Sonnenfeld again, Spike Lee, yep. um, Stanley Kubrick, Steve Miner, uh, Jean Debont. I think that's one of his first movies. Rennie Harlan, Gary Marshall, Brad Bird, uh, M. Night Shyamalan, we've already talked about, yep. Frank Oz, Adam Rifkin. I know I'm going on, but it's like it, the, the list here is just amazing in terms of talent. Sam, and Mendes. you, and thank you. That was the one I was waiting for for American Beauty. I was, who, uh, yeah. Sam Raimi, Lawrence Kasdan, uh, Jay Roach, Sidney Pollack, David Fincher, Rob Reiner, David Lynch, mm-hmm. Martin Scorsese, uh, Antonio Banderas. I think makes his uh, directorial debut. Wes Craven, uh, the really creepy music of the heart that's so frightening um michael mann kevin smith adam agoyan luke besson barry levinson tim burton michael apted peter himes joel schumacher john lassiter i mean these like uh, neil jordan woody allen frank darabont i mean this is ang lee chris columbus oliver stone milos foreman alan parker um like this is just like a who's who of like some of the best directors out there ever well and if we've got being john malkovich we can't forget about spike jones right yes spike lee and spike jones make yep Mm -hmm. yep there are spikes um i just like this is i i dare say i don't i can't really call it's not like all these these movies were winners right but there just is something about this that strikes me as like like I don't know if I want to call it like a golden age. It's not like 1939, which is like just this powerhouse year of that that changes Hollywood and and movies forever. There's a lot of big movies here, but there's a lot of like there's just a, a, a when I'm looking at this. If I look at the list of movies that are being made now, and maybe it's just me because I don't recognize half the names of people who are making. Yeah, this movies. was I guess just what you can take away from that amazing long list that that we just got from mike is this was a sort of a transition year and a crossroads year where everybody was in the mix you had that old hollywood and and some directors that their careers were winding down at this point and these amazing new people like the wachowskis and so on and spike jones are coming up but this intersection kind of happened in 99 yeah yeah and i think it even started a little bit earlier than that because you take you take a look at the year of 94 uh, with Kevin Smith and Robert Rodriguez and and Tarantino, uh, uh, Tarantino really kind of coming to fruition, um, and it's, it happens. It happens every generation. I mean, uh, Kubrick, Lucas, uh, Scorsese all hit at the same time. You know, it's it's this moment where you just have this plethora. But right here, yeah, you've definitely got a, a pretty incredible cross reference of the future of filmmaking and the past of filmmaking. And I think that's one of the reasons why 99 was certainly one of those pivotal years, because as you said, a lot of these films, not strong at the box office, but yet lay the foundation for future greatness. I mean, without iron giant, we don't get the Incredibles. Right. Exactly. Without, yeah. Without eight millimeter, we don't get, you know, all the stuff that JJ's done that, you know, divides the entire internet. Um, I'm looking at you, <laughs> Star Trek fans and Star Wars fans. So uh, Mike mentioned Ron Howard on that list. And Ron Howard's movie in 99 was Ed TV. 
That, that was the one with oh, Buck as a guy that there's just they make a TV show out of his life by just pointing cameras at this guy all the time. This was 1999, so this was like the year before Survivor kind of made, made reality TV explode. Yeah. So that movie really kind of you know showed what was coming in a way that and and again we like we didn't yeah. realize like that does the concept does not seem that outrageous anymore in this this world of of websites no 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 not at all but it's in, but it's interesting because at tv at the time oh it's just a rip off of truman show yeah you know yeah. that type of stuff i remember yeah, that which was, was not a fair criticism, criticism and i prefer ed tv to truman mm-hmm. show i thought it was actually a much better movie I, I kind of do too. I, I think when when it, it works a little bit better, but yeah, I mean, without without Ed TV, you don't really see Real Housewives or worse, <laughs> the Kardashians. Ugh, so oh I blame. Oh, I so we could blame, blame them, right? I blame Ed TV. Shame on you, Ron uh, McConaughey and Woody Harrelson together. So I consider this a prequel to True Detective. <laughs> no, there you go. All right, all right, all right. Yep. Head cannon now. The uh... I I actually haven't seen either one of those, so I can't I can't speak to this. You've never yeah. seen it. Wow. No, I've never seen. Yeah, either uh, Ed TV or um, uh, uh, True, uh, Truman Show. Truman Show. Yeah, I haven't seen either one of those. He's a big fan of Keeping Up with it's the right. Kardashians, though. So it's yeah. all right. Yeah, I am. Yes. It's so amazing because, you know, I'm looking at the list and I've seen a lot of these movies, but there's a ton of them that I, I haven't seen. I mean, I haven't seen uh, mm. The Green Mile. Uh, oh, wow. I haven't seen Man on the Moon. Mm. Oh, well, good night, <laughs> folks. That's the end of the show. <laughs> the moment but, where we uh, lose all street cred. Um, yeah, I guess I guess when everybody's watching that, I, I went and saw Ghost Dog. And uh, <laughs> I love that movie. Oh, so. Nice. Way of the Samurai with yeah. uh, Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. Oh, that's a, uh, I mean, don't you see, now that's a movie, I don't know if that gets made today. No. Like, there's, those, I mean, these, there's these little small movies that, um, yeah, I just don't think they get made. Uh, yeah. There's just not the, unless it's like a big franchise thing or something that maybe you might have some Oscar credibility, like, you know, and even Netflix and the the streaming services aren't making stuff like this. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, even I mean, even the the lighter fare, Varsity Blues, which was just another interpretation of Friday Night Lights. And I'm not being mean on that. I literally mean it's another interpretation of the book Friday Night Lights because they just took a different portion of it and 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 did this film through uh, MTV. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But but Varsity Blues, I don't. Varsity Blues doesn't get made now. I don't um, think so. No, no, because I mean, again, when was the last time you saw a film like Varsity Blues? Maybe the program in '94 or uh, 90, uh That was the one about the Florida one where they had the they had to cut the clip of the people uh, laying in the street while the cars are passing by. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just because I mean, all Varsity Blues is is it's you know high school kids who were you know drinking and having sex after football games and it's you know true with true. with abusive parents and is that is that where we got introduced no that's not where we got introduced jessica beale because that was uh that uh tv show right seventh heaven yeah but i believe it is where we got introduced to paul walker oh that might be yeah yeah that might be 
So, right. You also that year also had election with Matthew Broderick mm-hmm. and Reese Witherspoon. Oh wow! Which I was still an don't know amazing how I feel about show. That film. I still don't know how I feel about that movie. I think I didn't like it. Right. Really? I, but I can't say for sure. Yeah. Oh, there were some very intense mm-hmm. scenes in that one, and. To me, I've, you know, I didn't go see it because I thought it was just another one of those MTV movie type movies and everything. And friends went to see it. Dude, you got to go see this. And it is pretty. Reese Witherspoon plays a total high school psycho. Like, I rank it up there with almost her character in this is almost as good as American Psycho. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, it was a, a dark comedy. And uh, and Reese, this was an early role where the, where Reese, she really stood out as as a major talent, um, and kind of there were a lot of those teen movies were kind of popping around again, you know, with, with American Pie and uh, Jawbreaker was ninety nine also with uh, Rose Rose McGowan. Oh yeah, sort of a Heather's type mm-hmm. of thing. And uh, right. Detroit Rock City is also another, mm. yeah. That nice little high school movies. You know one that mm-hmm. I wanted to mention, that kind of a uh, small movie that yeah I don't hear people talk about, and it's really a favorite of, of mine. And and uh, Felicity is also still crazy. You guys know this one? It's um it's sort no. of the premise is almost like Spinal Tap. It's not a fake documentary like Spinal Tap, but it's about a rock band, like a washed up rock band from the seventies getting back together like this all these old hard rock guys the band's been out of commission for years yes. they get back together and try to relaunch the band and it's very funny the music is actually really good in it, it has a lot of heart as well uh billy Connolly is in it that uh, scottish comedian and actor bill nighy is mm-hmm. in it it's yeah really really nice yeah. little movie that i don't think it really got any attention at all but that's something that people should look out for still crazy there's a there's a moment they wind up going to like don't they spend like a lot of time in somebody's house yeah like to try to get rebuilt mm-hmm. I've seen this movie I've seen this movie yes it's it's wonderful and Bill Nye basically plays the same character that he winds up playing in um in uh, uh, Love Actually because he's this pompous right right yeah kind yeah. of rocker that's like well yeah, out he's of just his like league the burnt out lead singer. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's terrific. <laughs> I really recommend people look that one up. Uh, nineteen ninety nine is also the uh, last Pierce Brosnan Bond film. That's pretty awesome. Oh yes, the world is not enough. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, you know, he went out on top. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't care what anybody else said. This is the last one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I w- I won't mention the others. <laughs> no, there's no others. This is the last one. This is the final one. Um, all right. So it's hard, I know, to wind this up, but I'm wondering what you guys think. All right. So as far as 1999, this is like not just, uh, you know, the beginning or the end of a decade, right? This is the end of a century. Um is there do you think there's anything to that about like the sort of the end of a decade or a, a coming like turning a corner where there's maybe a release of creative energy that that i mean i don't know does it sound ridiculous or does do you think there's something to support that with especially when you look at 39 you look at uh 69 you look at 99 and you could pull others years too i mean 1989 was a, 89 was a massive well. movie year absolutely uh 
Yeah. I, I think that in retrospect, we attach meaning and themes to movie years in a way that probably was not, it's not like all of Hollywood got together and had a big meeting and said, all right, here's what we're going to do for the year 1999. But that said, if, if even if we're attaching our ideas and our themes that we see emerge in our, in this through nostalgia and retrospect and looking at lists like this, there's some validity in that. You can look at those kind of sweeping overall themes as to what was happening in Hollywood and to some extent it's coincidence that you know that there's there's big movies and great movies and important movies being made all the time every year every couple of years and so just just by the sake of random clumpiness there are going to be years where a whole bunch of those that stuff happens all in the same year and this was one of those years yeah Yeah, the fact that it's 1999 it's the end of the 1900s is kind of fun that it was a big major movie year and it's also capping the century yeah i i think um I, I think a lot of it is just nostalgia sake um i personally would go i feel like creatively and that, i mean that's despite looking at this amazing list i think creatively the 90s movies were 94 95 uh where you had such diversity as your pulps your uh, uh usual suspects your uh your your i mean even desperado um films like that that were you know a little bit uh different while at the same time uh still having uh, great movies coming you know years later um i i think there's but there's a lot of greatness that that just happens to come out right at this time that Honestly, you look at this list and, and there's a lot of these movies that just can't be made anymore. The proofs in the pudding on the mummy. Mummy was number eight that year. And when they did it, when they did a, a reboot for as part of the dark universe thing for universal, it, it beyond tanked. Like, I don't think it made this much money for 99. <laughs> um, so I, you know, it, it's, you, you see so many things that have just stuck in our pop culture for all of this time. And I, you know, but it's possible that, you know, 20 years from now, uh, a group are going to be talking about all the big movies that came out for this year and talking about how it was a great, it won't be one of us. It'll be something else. Uh, it'll all be major celebrities on their podcast, but, um, they'll all be raving about, you know, the last star Wars film or the second frozen movie back before they realized that it was a 10 movie chapter series, you know? Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, some of these films have, have really stood the test of time while others just kind of got mixed up with other films. So, um, but I mean, it's a great list. It is an amazing list. And that's why, you know, it was a great idea to come up with this because it was just movie after movie, after movie, after movie, hell, you could do a series of podcasts, just each movie and everything just 90 call it the films of 99 and just go through the whole list. And right there, you probably would have a hundred movie series and podcasts. I, I do know that someone has uh, released a book, uh, the films of 1999. And uh, it's a pretty, I, I listened to the uh, author talk about it and it's uh, it's, I mean, he takes it very seriously and, uh, but it sounds like it's a fun read. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious to see because really ultimately what what's really happening here is that the whole like 
world is at the time afraid of the you know Y2K virus and thinking that it's going to be the end of everything. So they're just this, they're just releasing everything creatively they can, right? I mean, that's what's happening here, right? Oh, of course. You know, <laughs> the world was coming to an end. Let's get all this stuff out before Y2K. <laughs> yeah, this is like, this is what we're, this, you know, these are the movies we're going to release before, like, we, before the end, before we die. These are the last movies that anybody wants to see, right? So I think I think that's what it is, you know. That and is uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So uh, so uh, thanks, guys. Uh, with that said, uh, we will take a quick break, and then we'll be ready to shout out and get out of here. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. I feel Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about the world according to Jeff Goldblum. So there's this show on Disney Plus that has Jeff Goldblum going around and learning about all new topics that he didn't know about. He learns about barbecue, denim, gaming, all types of stuff, and it's really fascinating to watch. He shows how interacting with all different types of people can show how different we are, but also how similar we are. In that we all have similar customs, but they differ as well. It also shows us that you never stop learning, no matter how old you are. You can always learn something new, and you shouldn't stop trying to do that. This show is a lot of fun, and it's really cool to see all the random different stuff that I never really thought I would, you know, pursue to learn about, and how learning about random stuff is fun. As someone who was a teacher for years, you never stop learning, and this show has a really unique perspective to learning about different topics, and if you're able to watch it on Disney+, Plus, don't pass it up. It's a lot of fun. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank our guests for being here. Alex, thank you so much, sir. Ah, uh, pleasure's all mine. Anything you want to shout out about? I do. I screwed up on this show. Uh, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, the movie 8mm, and I got it confused with the movie Super 8. So before people start posting comments about how wrong that was, we know. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was a great coming on. I, I enjoyed it. Well, for another correction, because I said Netflix started in 1999. It actually started in 97. Oh, well, so yeah, wow. two years earlier. I'm still contending that uh, World is Not Enough is the last Pierce Brosnan Bond movie, though. That's not a mistake. Okay. And he'll I, go down to his grave saying that, too, which is pretty darn awesome. So, folks, if you, you know, 
want to talk to Mike Gordon about it. Whenever you see him at a con, feel free. Walk up to his table and say, about that James Bond stuff, dude. So it'd be pretty easy. And Kevin, thank you. Thank you. Hey, always a pleasure, guys. Great to get up here and uh, talk about uh, what, from from our perspective on the Flopcast, the super modern era of the late 90s. <laughs> You've got a glimpse into the future today. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. <laughs> I know I know it's not Meatballs 4, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, we're a little behind the times on the Flopcast. We spent the summer watching all the horrifying sequels to Meatballs. That's how we spent our summer. Oh, um, including the one with the alien in it? Uh, yeah, including oh, the, the alien. One. It was rough. It was rough. Uh, yeah, you can find us here on the ESO Network on the Flopcast. We do that show, very silly show, uh, every single week. And, man, we are creeping up on episode 400 of the Flopcast. I think that's how we're going to I remember off. those days. The year 2020, I believe. We're going to start with our episode 400. Congratulations, sir. Yeah, that'll be Absolutely. fun. And anybody, in, if you're in the Boston area like me and you're willing to risk freezing to death, uh, come on out to Aresia, a uh, convention we have in Boston in the middle of January. I'll be there. I'll be doing panels and stuff. So I uh, hope to see you there. That is awesome. I always, I always know when there's going to be a con on a holiday, the Flopcast will be there. It's always good. We do enjoy the holidays. Exactly. And Mr. Mike, thank you, sir. As always, it was my pleasure. Anything you want to shout out about, sir? Um, I'm going to give a quick shout out recommendation. Um, if everybody out there has Disney Plus, like who doesn't, right? And uh, the, everybody's talking about Baby Yoda and everybody's talking about Mandalorian and, you know, what is or is not un, unavailable on Disney Plus to watch, whatever. Um, I, and I know some people have already clued into this, but I, I think it needs to be more widespread. Um, one of the best series that's on Disney plus is the Imagineering story. Oh, it's um, amazing. This is, uh, I've watched, uh, four episodes now and, uh, they're getting caught up like to the, the present. So I'm almost sad that, uh, that it might be ending soon. I don't know what the, the shelf life on the, or how many episodes this is going to be or what it's going to do like fully, but. Um, it's basically uh, the journey or behind the scenes of uh, Walt Disney parks, Imagineering, the people who design the parks, the people who design the park rides, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, basically the development center of the Walt Disney Company. And, you know, um, a lot is said about Disney and their corporate, you know, uh, their corporateness, right? As far as being the, the evil mouse or whatever, evil corporations. But I got to tell you, I don't, the, most of the Imagineers that uh, certainly are, are talked about uh, and that I've, I've had the, uh, you know, become aware of, they don't, they don't have an evil bone in their body. These guys are amazing at what they do and what they do is, is amazing. Like, it's just, it's, it's one of those things that it's like, I, I wish, I wish I could go back in time and somehow like, you know, become an intern and, and develop, like be part of this crew because it's, it's what, it's what's almost every company should be. I think like, it's just, it, the, I, the the thought behind it and, and just the, uh, I don't know, the genius behind it of what they do is just amazing. Mr. Um, and uh, you have to see it like really, because I think a lot of people see the rides, they go on the rides, but they don't really think about what it took to make these rides and, and how, 
amazing that uh, these 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 efforts were. So someone has actually actually documented it, and uh, it's it's like I said, one of the best shows I've seen like on anything this year. That's awesome. That is really cool. It's it's an amazing show, and I just loved it. I loved the first one and talking about, you know, how things were disarrayed at Disneyland before they, when they were opening and, you know, even the first couple of days, you know, the people were flooding in, but, you know, things were like held together barely and everything. It was just awesome. And the ideas and then Walt coming up with these new ideas and saying, let's do this. And, you know, talking to them and everything. Well, Walt like was a great captain in the fact that he, like he had a vision and he steered, but he also allowed others to, I mean, he gave them the confidence in a lot of ways, like more confidence than they had in themselves in, in doing projects that just seemed impossible. And, uh, you know, not, it's amazing to me that, you know, a lot of outsiders will look at Walt Disney and say this, that, and the other thing, but you talk about a lot of the people who worked for Walt, especially the people who worked right underneath them. None of them have like bad things to say. Like, well, there might be one or two, but, um, but for the most part, I mean, they, like they, uh, it's, it was a great environment. And, you know, I think it still exists to, to some extent now, but certainly they're one of the few companies. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're one of the most successful companies. That's very true. I agree with that. That was a really long shout out. Sorry about that. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's our show. We could do whatever we want. It's okay. It really doesn't really matter. But uh, speaking of mattering, uh, for me, for my shout out, I saw this really awesome movie on Netflix the other day. It's called Dolomite. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Eddie Murphy is back with a vengeance. And this is based off a true story from the 1970s. Uh, Black exploitation uh, movies are the focus on this about a down and out uh, singer, actor, comedian. And he creates this character called Dolomite and he creates a film around it. And it is awesome. It's the best thing I've probably seen Eddie Murphy in in at least 10 years. I've heard Wesley Snipes is fun in it too. Oh, he is. He's pretty darn awesome. And it's just a lot of fun. And I just, I just liked it and get a chance, take a peek at it. It was out at the theaters for a couple of days because they wanted to do like what they did with the Irishman and, you know, try to get it considered for best picture with the Academy Awards and such. So it's definitely worth checking out and, you know, if you like Eddie Murphy, if you like a good story, please check it out. I'd highly recommend it. And, you know, if you don't want to sit for three hours watching The Irishman, I'd also recommend it, too. So it's pretty awesome. All right. That's going to wrap up the show. We will be back again next week. And <laughs> look at this. We're going to the movies again next week. We are going to be looking at the movies. Nice it's out. It's going to be awesome. If we want a true murder mystery we are going to get it here. And which one of us will survive? Which one was the culprit? You're going to have to listen to find out. Until then, my name is Mike Faber. We will see you here next time on the Air Station One podcast. Peace. And we are done. Boom. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. 
If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Earth Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our T Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.